Happy Easter to all of you. You guys look fantastic. Can we put our hands together for a resurrected Savior this morning? So good. Amen. So thankful for the love of God. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Easter weekend. Again, we are so thankful for all of you. If you are new to our church, we just want to honor you this morning and thank you so much for making New Life Church the place where you worshiped this morning. So thank you so much. In your seat today, let me just quickly preface this, uh, was a small card. It looks just light like this, has the word Easter across the top. And what we're going to do is just ask you at some point in the service this morning to fill this out. We're doing this at all four of our services over the weekend. And occasionally um, what we'll do is we'll put out a small tool like this just to help us to pastor people better. It just kind of gives us an idea of what's happened over the weekend. And so um, regardless of, of, of your background, your, your story with us, we're just going to ask you to uh, be courteous and Fill these out for us because it really just helps us become a stronger church. So Craig will talk more about that at the end uh, this morning, and you can drop those in, in the offering container. You know, everyone in this place today is serious about something. Even um, the most laid-back personality in this room um, has a button to be pushed that um, will quickly switch you into being uh, very, very serious. When I can think of examples, uh, you think about northern people. Uh, people from the north, they are very, very serious about not having sweet tea in their restaurants. It's like something they strategically and purposefully do. And it's like you can, you can cross this line from the south to the north. It doesn't matter if it's a Cracker Barrel country store and restaurant. They will not have sweet tea. And they point you to a packet. And if you're from the south, you don't want a packet. You want sweet tea. Can I get an amen this morning? Okay, y'all are the Christians that said Amen. Okay, In the South, we're serious about football. Um, we can see uh, tempers flare depending on who you're for, who you're against. Uh, I hate the University of Alabama. Um, I hope they lose every game next season. And um, Nick Saban, I hope he's sick for like half a year. That's what I hope. Um, as a matter of fact, listen, um, how do you get an Alabama graduate off your porch? You pay him for the pizza. Oh, that's right, okay. <laughs> Listen, Chick-fil-A, they're very serious about being closed on Sunday. As Christians, we always think that's great until we forgetfully drive over there and uh, pull in wanting something, and they were like stinking fanatics. Why y'all got to be closed on, on Sunday? Self-admittedly, I'm very serious about, about junk food. My closest friends uh, buy me junk food as Christmas presents and birthday presents, like 10-pound bags of gummy bears, okay? Uh, anybody like 10-pound bags of gummy bears? I do. Um, and then uh, Cadbury cream eggs. How many of y'all like Cadbury cream eggs? Peanut butter eggs. Any peanut butter egg people in the house? Yeah, okay. So um, we all like that. When I was growing up, um, I always got a chocolate bunny in my Easter basket, and um my, uh, my uh, mom would always uh, divvy it up by body parts because she knew if she just gave it to me, I would eat the whole thing. So it was like, today you can have the ears 
or, you know, today you can have the hind quarter, but don't go any higher than the rib cage. It was kind of one of those things. And we all know that there are two big kinds of chocolate bunny. There's the solid chocolate bunny and the hollow bunny. Okay, now the solid bunny is made in America by Americans, and the hollow bunny is made in North Korea by Kim Jong-un. And we're going to get that guy before it's over with, okay? Um, so some people are very serious about things like homeschool or politics or sports. Some people are serious about being a vegan. You know they are because they tell you every chance they get how serious they are. Um, you gluten-free people are equally exhausting, um, you know, we have uh, sometimes people come to us at the church and they'll say things like, quote, is there anything in the communion that has walnuts, almonds, pine nuts, Brazil nuts, pecans, soy, wheat, or other grains with gluten like barley, rye, and oats? Or has that cracker been manufactured anywhere that shellfish has been used? And my reply back to them was, you're telling me you're allergic to the body of Jesus. I think Scripture references that as demon possession. And then that typically ends the conversation. Okay? Every one of us has something that we're very passionate about. And so I think this big story of Easter, this conversation that's been going on for 2,000 years, when we think about it, when we ponder it, when we reflect on it, when we have mornings like today where we're looking at it and then assessing where we are in alignment with it, there's a lot of weight that comes with that, and so certainly there are some things that Jesus is serious about, and we're going to talk about a few of those this morning. I think Easter weekend is always a great gut check. It's always that great opportunity to just look at where we are, who we are, as it relates to this deep and wide and magnificent and rich story of redemption of man. And I think if you've read your Bible at all or you've just looked at your own personal experience, you see the value in what's been done for us spiritually and how it affects the other parts of our lives, like, like, like the mental component, the physical component, um, the psychological component, our, our emotional construct. All of it is tied in to what's been done for us spiritually. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to tell a story about a guy named Peter. We all know about him. But there is a pre-Easter story of him, and then there is a post-Easter story of him. And I want to look at both of those, and then I want us to decide what happened, what caused this transformation. So to start this journey, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to read 31 through 35. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. And so Matthew 26, 31 through 35, this is what it says. Then Jesus told them, meaning his disciples, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written the flock will be scattered. Verse 32, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. 
Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And I want you to think about this story. I want you to think about these two. They've spent a lot of time together. Peter has heard mysteries of heaven explained by the Son of God. He's seen things that none of our eyes have ever seen. He's participated in miracles and supernatural, things that cannot be explained by science. And now he stands on the cusp of what is about to become the greatest love story ever told. And he is looking in the face of the Savior and saying, I will never disown you. I will never fall away from you. And it's serious to him. It has a lot of of zeal behind it. It's got a lot of passion in his voice. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is this. Personal confidence is not enough for us. It's not enough. And I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand, okay? How many of you have ever said to God, I will never do that again? Anybody? Yeah, all of us have. We all have a different that. We all have a different vice. We've all got a different thing. We've all got that one part of us. You can be living your life the way you want it 99% of the time, but it's like that one small percentage you stay kind of irritated at. You're kind of frustrated with it. And you'll go to God time and time and time again, and with all the self-confidence that you can muster, you will say to God, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to think like that or behave like that or act out like that. I'm I'm never going to let myself get in this position ever again, Lord, I promise. It's that same self-confidence and drive when you and I do that that Peter is talking to Christ about. It won't happen, Lord. It's not going to happen. Okay? But let me tell you the reason why we've prayed that prayer many times about the same that. It's because self-confidence cannot help you in the area of your life that requires redemption. People have tried since the beginnings of humanity to muster self-confidence and with great effort reach the parts of their soul and deal with it via self-confidence rather than being redeemed. And so this is why we get in this cycle of the same thing. We put self-confidence and effort out there thinking if I can just get passionate enough about it, if I can just get serious enough about it, then it will all turn for me, and then God will be pleased with, what, with what's going on. We just sang a great song called Reckless Love. The lyrics to that were, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Our self-confidence is never going to be enough to earn it or deserve it. 
And Easter is what changes the spiritual climate for every single person in, in this room, for all of us. Here's why. Because there are times that I don't have it all together. And there are times that you don't have it all together. And there are times that I don't have a good handle on my faith. It's like I'm grappling and I'm wrestling. And there are times that, that you too don't have a handle on your faith. And things are mysterious to you. And you're wondering where you stand. And you're rethinking something that you thought you had settled a long time ago in your, in, in, in your faith. And so it's kind of like this, this feeling of, I don't have it all together, and now what I thought was solid is suddenly a mystery, and it seems like the self-confidence and effort that we're trying to build uh, fails. It falls miserably short of success. But here's the good news. Even when you don't have it all together, even when you're grappling with faith, even when you're wrestling, even when you seem like you don't have God, it's okay because he has you. Most of us were raised, being in the South, you were either raised as a Calvinist or you were raised in, from an Ar Arminian belief system. And here, here's some imagery. The Calvinist says, I was drowning and I was so far gone that I had no energy to live. But God, in all of his power and his love for me, reached down and grabbed a hold of me and rescued me. The Arminian will say, well, it, it was an e equal thing. I was drowning. But God reached down and I reached up and we made a, a connection. And people will often try to put me on one side of the fence of this. And they'll say, Kevin, listen, what, what are you, Arminian or Calvinist? And I'll say, yes. Here's why. Because I believe that God loves us so unconditionally and so well and so deep and so rich and so full and loves us so strong that we can't put it on paper in just a few short, quick, recognizable, memorizable points. That what he's done for us is, is an overwhelming, reckless kind of love. Unfortunately, a lot of us have this image of our relationship with God. We think of our relationship with God. Now, forgive me because I had this thought at 3 a.m. this morning, so if it's terrible, forgive me. My thought is this, that a lot of us think about our walk with God being like God is in a boat and he's pulling us behind it like a skier. Okay, that's a 3 a.m. thought. And somehow we think, man, this is enjoyable. I'm holding on. It's fun. I'm enjoying the waves. I'm enjoying the ride. I feel, you know, I, I can see God, I'm, I'm having an experience with God, but, but we think if I let go, then God just keeps on going and moves on without me, and that's not the case. God loves us, he leaves the 99, he fights until we're found, he loves us, he wants us, and sometimes you got to stop striving and just open your hands and let go of your own thoughts of how you've got to have it together and your effort and your self-confidence leading and just rest in the love of God, the reckless love of God. So the second big thing today is this, fear is an enemy of our faith, fear is always an enemy of faith. And this is exactly what Peter is experiencing. I think one of the most important things that we can believe in life is what we believe surrounding Easter because it affects every single area of, of our lives. Some people think Easter is foolishness. 
They consider it a day when Christians buy new clothes and come to church and eat more than usual. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul told us this a long time ago, verse 18, he said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's two different perspectives. For those of us who are following and loving and growing and wanting more of Him, it's the power of God. It's transformational. What you believe about Easter determines your entire worldview. What you believe happened on this morning 2,000 plus years ago determines how you deal and filter your past. How you filter the Easter story and what you believe about it affects how you deal with death and loss and grief and a plan for your life. Many here today, you are fearful. It's paralyzing to your faith. You think you're fearful of many, many, many things, and you can label them, but really there's an undercurrent. There's something that you're more afraid of than anything, and that's death, whether, whether it be a physical death, a spiritual death. Where am I with God? What if, what if he comes and I'm not ready? Where am I right now? Is he, is he happy with me? And there's this fear, this underlying fear of physical and spiritual death. To give you an example of that, I'm going to apply it in the physical realm. How many of you are scared of spiders this morning? Anybody? Anybody scared of spiders? Yeah, several men, too. That's kind of funny. I'm scared of spiders. Here's the truth. You're not scared of spiders. You're scared the spider will bite you and you will die. That's what you're afraid of. Okay? Some of you think that you're afraid of heights, but you're not. What you know is that a falling body can fall up to 120 miles per hour, and below you is an unmovable object called earth. And you feel that if you fell at 120 miles per hour and hit an unmovable object, you will die. Some of you think you're afraid of germs, but you're not. You're afraid that you're going to catch them. And they're going to get in your blood and then your brain and then your organs and blah, 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 you're dead. That's what some of you are afraid of. Some of you think you have a fear of flying, but you don't. You have a fear of what's called engine failure. And you think that you will die. Some of you, you think you're afraid of public speaking, but you're not. You're afraid I'll get up and I'll have a heart attack and die. Okay, there's this underlying thing. And so when we look at Peter, when we look at what's going on, what would cause a guy who had talked face-to-face with the Son of God and seen what he saw and experienced what he experienced, how can, can this guy go from, I'll never deny you, to ultimately falling apart? And so... When we look at Matthew chapter 26, 58, it gives us this great uh, insight into what's going on. Look, Look at what this verse says, 26 and 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. He still wants to know what's going on, but he follow, but he's following at a, at a distance. And I remember specifically this season and time in my life. So I, th- this is very relevant to me. Because I grew up in, in church, and so I know what it's like to, to know Scripture but follow at a distance. 
I know what it's like to serve our church. My mother was a church administrator. My father was a bus driver there and an usher and, and just a guy that fixed anything. He, he was just that guy. The Swiss Army knife of our church was my father. They taught us how to serve, and when we weren't serving, we watched them do it. it, it and so I, I know what it's like to serve and be involved in a serving family, but follow from afar. My dad, all the time growing up, when they would give us money, if you know, my dad wouldn't give me a dollar without saying 10 cents of that goes to the house of the Lord. So I, I knew how to be a giver, but following from a distance. And sometimes it's just, it happens. Even when we, do, we don't realize, it's like we want to be part of the story, but we have a fear, a fear of not being good enough a fear of, of something going on in our lives being exposed, a fear of, of I'll never be able to earn this. And, and the thing is, that's the best statement you, you could ever say. And so I know there are probably some here who are not good at following very close. When I was a kid, we had a garden growing up and um, I, I loved it. It was a magical place for me. And so my dad had a tiller, and he would get out there, and he would work it. And I loved the smell of just dirt overturned. And it was always you could just find lizards and and uh, this creepy crawly things. And and you could it was just fun for a boy to get out there with a little shovel and dig around and find stuff and chase stuff. And my father would till, and I loved being out there with him, and it would make him nervous. Because he had this tiller and he couldn't hear where I was. And so sometimes I'd come flying in front of him and it'd scare him to death, freak him out. And so finally he decided to have this conversation with me. He was like, listen, I know you enjoy being out here. I know you like being with me. But what I need you to do, we got to come up with a system. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your, your, your fingers and I want you to hook them into my belt loops and hold on to those. And these boots that I've got on, once I till and I turn up the soil and it's soft, these boots I've got on are going to make prints in, in the ground. And so you hold on to these belt loops and you step into these boot prints and you're going to get to have fun, but you're still going to be safe and you're going to be up close and personal with me and I'm going to know where you are and so I'm going to be sad. This is a great system. And so through belt loops and boot prints... I got to hang out with my dad, and he felt great about it, and we were up close and personal. And this is exactly, metaphorically, where the Lord wants us to be with him, is to hook into his belt loops, follow the boot prints, be up close and personal. Don't, don't just know Scripture. Don't just know how to give and know how to serve, but to have every fiber of our being completely inundated with the story of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we find in Matthew 26, and for time's sake I'm going to paraphrase, but 70 through 75 in those six verses, here's the story. Peter is, is following, and a servant girl sees him, and she says, hey, you're with Jesus of Galilee. And he says, no, I'm not. And then he goes on, the Bible says he's standing in a, in a gateway, and another servant girl comes out and says, well, you're with Jesus of Nazareth. And it strikes him so wrong that he takes an oath, the Bible says, A, against it. And the imagery here is like you and I about to testify in court, and so he got left hand on the Bible and right hand lifted, and I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what Peter's doing. He's taking an oath. He's saying, I swear I don't know him. I swear it. 
And then he goes on, and there's a crowd gathered around him. And they said, we can tell by your accent that you're one of them. And he says, I do not know him. And a rooster crows. And he realizes, he kind of comes to himself and realizes in that moment that fear has been driving him. And the Bible says he steps out and he just weeps. But then John 21, this is post-Easter, tells us the restoration of Peter. Matter of fact, it seems that there's a reversal of what he had done. Jesus gets with him, and he says to him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And he says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I do. In that moment, there's restoration, and Peter decides to stop following him from afar. He finally gets that his self-confidence and who he is and what he's heard and what he's experienced and his effort is not enough. He needed the redemption of the Easter story to change him. Let me give you an example of that. When we see him in the book of Acts, when we see Peter post-Easter, he is a man completely committed to the life of Christ. It was Peter in Acts chapter 2 who on the day of Pentecost stood up and said, We are not drunk. We are full of the Holy Spirit. He became the spokesperson of that entire day. In Acts chapter 3, it was Peter who reached down and says, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus, rise up. In Acts chapter 4, he's speaking to the same crowd that crucified Jesus. And he says, there is no name, uh, other name under heaven by which we are saved. And in Acts chapter 5, he is so full of the Spirit that people are laying their sick out in the street. This is verse 15 of chapter 5. They're laying their people out in the street in the hopes that Peter will walk by and his shadow alone will fall on them and heal them. That's a far cry from I do not know him. So what happened? What happened between his denial and this incredible demonstration that we see in Acts? Easter. And so what happened here is that the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ became so real to him that it transformed him forever, changed. So this morning, there may be some in this room and some in the next service you're following from a distance. You've been to a thousand Easter services. You can quote John 3.16. You can lead somebody down the Romans road. You know how, how, how to give. Maybe you lift your hand in worship sometimes. Maybe you cry sometimes. But you're not really sold out the whole route. Christ. This moment this morning is not about you when you were christened as a child, when you were dedicated as a child. It's not about when you were a kid and your parents thought now's the time for you to get baptized. It's not about that. This is not about Christian concerts and self-help books and self-confidence. This is not about 2,000 years ago. It's about right now. What, what will you do with the magnitude of this story today? So I want you to close your eyes with me this morning. Just bow your heads in the presence of God, everybody. I just want to talk to your heart for just...